Once upon a time, in a castle, far, far away, in the beautiful countryside of Scotland, there was a young laird who fell in love with a beautiful young woman. The two young lovers were wrapped in a whirlwind romance, constantly dreaming of the gorgeous future they would share together. It wasn't long before the young laird dropped to one knee in the forest of the castle's estate and proclaimed his eternal love for the fairest lady in all of Aberdeenshire. The two lovers were beyond thrilled to begin their lives as husband and wife. Unfortunately, that was not a sentiment shared by the young laird's mother. You see, he was her only son. And while the bride-to-be was beautiful, temperate, and kind, she was not good enough for her darling son. Soon, the young woman moved into the castle while preparations for the wedding took place. One cold, stormy night, when the young laird was away, his bride settled in early into her bed. Her soon-to-be mother-in-law came into her chamber with a steaming cup of tea and uncharacteristically said an affectionate good night. When the storm had passed and the laird returned, he was greeted with the most horrible news. His blushing bride had been found dead in her bed. It was a mystery to the staff, for she hadn't been ill. And although it had been a cold evening, her chamber housed a roaring fire, and she was well equipped with hot tea and plenty of blankets. It might have been a mystery to some, but the young laird knew exactly who was responsible. But there wasn't any concrete evidence to prove his theory. Soon, the young woman's grieving parents came to collect her body. It was a gruesomely morbid affair, soaked in pain and agony. As soon as her slender, lifeless body was lifted from her bed and transferred onto the undertaker's cart, the young laird's mother turned a dusky shade of green. Her face dropped and her mouth melted into a gaping maw. Her hand, which looked so very withered in the pale morning light, rose and pointed out the window, past the perfectly manicured castle lawns and gardens, towards the dense, full forest on the estate's edge. As she stood there, frozen in a state of sickly anguish, she screamed, She comes! She comes! No sooner had the words left her thin, dry lips did the woman drop to the ground, dead. Her face paralyzed in a contorted state of unadulterated terror. The poor young laird was never the same. Now it is said that on the anniversary of the young lady's tragic death, a beautiful young woman, clad only in her lily-white bedclothes, drifts through the castle grounds. And as she wanders in search of her handsome lover, she weeps. Heavy, heartful sobs that always culminate in a blood-curdling scream.
friends, it's Becca. For the past three years, the West London Witch Team have been dedicated to bringing you the best supernatural stories at the highest studio quality. And by team, I mean me and my buddy Danny. We do this work totally for free because we love it. We're proud of our content and appreciate the wonderful interactions we get to have with storytellers and listeners just like yourself. If you're enjoying the West London Witch, maybe consider joining our Patreon. It's a way to further engage with us and show your support for two creatives. If you're in a position to spare enough each month for us to grab a cup of coffee in between edits or add to the piggy bank for a new microphone, we would love to see you in our Patreon community. But I know times are tough. So if you're not in a position to join Patreon right now, that's okay. We aren't going anywhere. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the West London Witch. For as little as one pound, one dollar, one euro a month, you can gain full access to our coven, a space where we share behind the scenes stories, dive deeper into each episode, answer your questions, and have special little treats to thank you for sharing your love and kindness with your favorite little witch. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. Today we head to the Highlands, to the stunning and historic sites of Leith Hall and Crathis Castle. These two historical gems are about an hour away from each other in Aberdeenshire. Both of these beautifully preserved properties are now in the hands of the National Trust for Scotland. And we were lucky enough to speak with Beatrice Fettis of Leith Hall and Douglas Kyle from Crathis Castle to learn all about the history and haunts of these truly spirited locations. So crack open an iron brew and curl up in a wool tartan blanket, for we are about to journey to the great land of Alaba. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch, Episode 45, The Spirits of Scotland. We begin our journey today in Kennethmont, Scotland, at Leith Hall, the home of the Leith Hay family for nearly 300 years. Beatrice, the visitor's service supervisor, knows Leith Hall like no one else. For even though the site has a short season open to the public, she is there year-round, often alone, taking care of the home and its collections. Leith Hall was built in 1650, and it's been the same family for over 300 years until 1945. The great thing about Leith Hall is that continuity um, and the fact that we have just one family is kind of changing ownership of the house and how they kept adding to it over the generations. So the family were the Leiths, um, starting with some John Leiths. We had three John Leiths, um, but the third, and then the, um, the third John Leith had a very dramatic story, which I'll tell you about later. Leith Hall was always passed down from father to son. However, the final laird, Charles Edward Norman Leith Hay, was actually the nephew of the previous laird. Leith Hall stayed in the family up until 1945, when there were no more heirs to inherit, so the hall was donated to the National Trust for Scotland, 
so it could be preserved forevermore. Well, Charles died in 1939, um, and then his son would have inherited, so this was their only child. It had two daughters that died. Um, weirdly enough, both at 12 days old, so... Um, which is something that I, I noticed once on their graves. And I was like, oh, that's really peculiar, actually. Laird Charles Leith Hay was the last of the Lairds at Leith Hall. In addition to his two little girls who had passed, his only remaining child, Charles, died in a tragic motorcycle accident. With no one left to inherit, his wife, Henrietta, closed up the house and left one of the most complete collections in history to the National Trust. It's kind of unique in that way that, you know, we have just one family story and basically all their stuff within the house. And it's kind of laid out how it was left to the trust as well. But I'd like to talk specifically about John Lee III to start with, because he's our first kind of dramatic tale. So um, he w- was, he was actually killed in a duel um, in... So outside what is now, it's now a Weatherspoons, but it, in, the, <laughs> in the 1750s, it was a tavern. Um, and it's just in the Castle Gate in Aberdeen. So it's kind of like quite, quite very central. Why John died is up for debate. There are stories that he was in a dispute over the quality of grain sold from Leith Hall. And perhaps alcohol was a contributing factor as well. Some theorized it could have been a conspiracy connected to the Jacobite Rebellion. But whatever the cause, Christmas Day 1763 ended with John engaged in a deadly duel. A duel which ended with John being shot in the head. And he was driven back to Leith Hall and he died on Christmas Day in 1763. So he left his wife, Harriet, and she was pregnant at the time, and they had three small children. So at the time, like women didn't really have much rights, but she is quite a hero of Leith Paul's because she was very, like, quite a strong woman, and so she kind of just carried on and kept everything going. John Leith III does apparently haunt the place, um, and but someone said the, there's, the first story I've heard was that he wore tartan trousers. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's, he's got kind of bandage over his head. And there's, there's one, we had a, actually a paranormal investigation recently. And one of the people with their divining rod said that he was really annoyed because people kept walking past him and not saying hello. And then when, once he was greeted, he was like, welcome to my house kind of thing. John Leith III is the hall's most historic haunt. And his presence has been both seen and felt throughout the hall and its rich history. Another story of John making himself visible occurred in the 1960s when a couple staying at the hall had a horrible, restless night sleeping inside the walls of the ancient home. The wife woke early in the morning to see a man standing at the foot of her bed looking down at her. His head was wrapped in bandages, and the more she looked at him, the more she realized how much he looked like the oil painting hung on the wall, the portrait of John Leith III. But there is something kind of, I don't know, like he keeps the house kind of ticking along. And he was involved in the first major renovations of the house. So it's kind of like he kind of changed the fortunes from being, it was a very 
like it was a traditional Scottish tower house, very simple, like no big rooms, like kind of like very minor gentry. Um, and he kind of changed the fortunes and started it to be a kind of like grander house. And then his son kind of extended that. And that's when we have all these, we have all the bigger rooms kind of came later. However, it's not just John Leith III who roams Leith Hall. It was a family home for three centuries. And there is evidence of other family members who may have stuck around. And they appear to be very interested in the current going-ons in the home. One such story revolves around the cook at Leith Hall, Rosie, who is renowned for her baking abilities. Another is a very charming tale about a puppy that was beloved by the family. We had a volunteer for a while who was like very, very into paranormal investigations. And that's why he actually came to volunteer at Leith Hall because he was just like, there's so much going on here. And he wanted to kind of just spend more time. So he volunteered, he did tours. Um, and one day he was chatting in the kitchen to Rosie and he said, there's someone that follows you all the time. And then, and he, she was like, okay, she's very skeptical about ghosts, but she was interested. And so he kind of was like talking to her and he asked, um, and they moved around and he was like, oh, she seems to follow you everywhere you go. And then he kind of asked the ghost to like come forward or like speak about who she was because he thought it must be her mother or something because it was someone who seemed to be really attached to Rosie. Um, but apparently it actually turned out to be Henrietta Lithay, who was the last lady of the house. And she was just really interested in, apparently she just like really liked what Rosie was doing. Um, and Rosie then just by chance met the lady who lives across the road. And they, Rosie was telling her the story about Henrietta kind of following her around and liking her. And the lady was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Of course she'd like you. And Rosie was like, why do you think that? Rosie like, and the woman was like, oh, I knew her. <laughs> she would really like you. <laughs> but I think most people's favorite ghost story is, is the dog. So his name was Tipo. Alexander Sebastian, the second last layer, had two dogs. One of them has this huge plaque by the door. <laughs> um, and he, he died actually in a moose hunt in Canada. So, and he had quite a, he had like a big, um, and a funeral, like a proper funeral with a gun salute. And <laughs> he kept keeping, looking after the house for his kind of master forevermore. <laughs> Tipo has been known to put his wet little nose on guests' hands just to let them know that he's still around. But it's not all sugar and spice and everything nice at Leith Hall. For there are two bedrooms that are so ominous, Beatrice tries to never go there alone. And the staff all feel the same way. These rooms are dark, eerie, and very unsettling. This year I had uh, quite a, a new bunch of staff um, who were all like, so enthusiastic about the history here. It's been a really nice season. But there was one, that, that corner of the bedrooms, they would often like closing up. They'd be like, do you want to come with me? <laughs> there is something strange about that, that, that corner. And that's apparently where John Leith III died. And that is the oldest part of the house. The rest of it, you know, it, it's been added to even up to 19, uh, 1912. So it's been constantly added to. But this kind of corner that's like 1750s. In the Leith bedroom as well, there's... We also had another guide who was like very, very into the paranormal aspects. And she said there's like two little girls that would hold hands. Now, records of daughters and little girls in history are very limited. 
But there were two little girls who are connected to the family who did die at Leith Hall. Remember Charles Leith Hayes? His two little girls both died at 12 days old, years apart from each other. Perhaps it's the two little sisters. However, if it was, wouldn't they both be babies? Maybe it is them, just in an alternate state. But what if the little girls were not connected to Leith Hall at all? Leith Hall is nearly 100% original. There are only five artifacts in the entire house that were not left by the Leith family. However, one of the five can be found in the dark, scary turret of the room where the little girls are seen. We actually have a doll's house in the corner of the, in the the turret of the bedroom, which has a picture of two little girls in front of it. We're not actually related to the property. um, And it's always been peculiar, like, could could ghosts come with an object? As terrifying as it is to see two little girls holding hands standing in a dark bedroom, there has been an even more ominous sighting within the hall. So a visitor who had gone around on one of the, the tours of the, of the man who was related to paranormal, because he had to do a normal tour, but I, he said, is it all right if at the end of my tour, I kind of go more into the paranormal stuff and people can stay if they want or leave if they want. And this one older lady had been, and I think, I think he like actually scared her. And she went upstairs to the military exhibition, which is kind of laid out, it's not like a house, it's laid out more kind of with display and a more kind of context. And so visitors got there by themselves after, um, and she came like rushing down the stairs, and she said that she'd seen a demon in one of the. So it's called it's Room Two, and it's all about the um, Napoleonic Wars. And there is, I mean, there is something very scary about that corner. It's just like it's like a very very small room, like box room, and it just has like this kind of cold feeling about it. But I think a, a demon was quite. Specific. That was quite alarming, actually. And for a while after, I was quite weary about that room. As this is such an active location, when paranormal investigators come to visit, they are treated with a host of different activity. John Leith III always comes through and makes its presence known. A strong smell of camphor is detected. And cigar smoke is particularly strong in the bedrooms, as well as the spirit of a soldier, who is known to come forward to investigators, but no one knows who he is. But recently someone came on a tour and they had this app that like showed where there was activity with like like a stick man. There are these new apps that you can download onto your phone that use your phone's camera to detect humanoid figures. You have probably seen TikToks or Instagram posts of little green stick figures presumed to be ghosts. Like any new technology in the paranormal realm, their reliability is hotly debated. But some of the images are very compelling and incredibly spooky. There was someone reclining on the sofa on the chaise long. Like it was so distinct, like, you know, because normally it was just someone standing randomly. There was a couple of moments of that, but this one was like so like perfectly laid out on the chaise long. And obviously there was no one there. Um, and you could just, everyone afterwards was just like, just so imagine John Leith just reclining <laughs> and watching the tour go by. As sweet and as lighthearted as it is to think about John Leith relaxing on the sofa, 
The next time the app was used by a staff member, they were confronted with a loud and distinct no coming from the app. Paranormal investigators have warned that the spirits of Leith Hall do not like to be taken advantage of. They are not spectacles. This was their home. And even in the afterlife, they are committed to seeing the hall stand the test of time. And luckily for the spirits, so are Beatrice and all of the staff for the National Trust for Scotland. Thanks to their stewardship, Leith Hall remains open to the public to explore, enjoy, and perhaps even encounter one of the long-departed former residents. 32 miles southeast from Leith Hall lies the austere Crathus Castle, former home of the Burnett family for over 350 years. Douglas Kyle is here today to give us a glimpse of the strange activity that flows through the halls of this majestic castle. Crathus Castle is a 16th century tower house which was built by the Burnett of Leys family. It's nestled beautifully within the Scottish wilderness, surrounded by acres of trees, forests, and a beautiful walled garden. Here at Crathus, nature is our neighbour. Red squirrels, deer, woodpeckers, pine martens, badgers. We greet them all with a friendly smile. They are as important here as the visitors, the garden, the cafe, and the castle itself. The Burnett of Ways used to live on a man-made island known as a Cranog, not far from where the castle stands now. Over a 40-year period in the late 1500s, they built the castle and lived there right up until the 1960s. In 1951, they gifted the castle to the National Trust for Scotland. For nearly 10 years or so, they lived in the old Victorian wing, which is a building adjacent to the castle itself. The Victorian wing was aptly named as it was added in the Victorian era. However, in 1966, a terrible fire spread through the Victorian wing, reducing it to ash. It was then that the family moved out of the castle for good. The National Trust for Scotland then lovingly renovated the building and created what we now call the Queen Anne Wing. This is the entrance you now use when you first step inside the castle. Throughout its history, Crathus has never actually seen battle, although built to sustain such attacks with its famous trip step and turnpike staircase, it never saw conflict. But like all castles, particularly Scottish ones, the stories of ghosts and ghouls are never too far from earshot. As you walk through the building, there is an uneasy sense, a sense of being watched, observed, a feeling that there is something there. Crathus has one ghost who truly does unsettle visitors and staff alike. That is the ghost of the Green Lady. Like all good ghost stories, there are many different origin stories and versions attached to the Green Lady. Some are rooted in historical accuracy. Some are more fantastical. However, there are some versions that are more popular and plausible than others. In the 1800s, they were renovating the old nursery. As they dug up the fireplace, they discovered something. Bones. Lots and lots of bones. They laid them out on the floor and it discovered that they were of a woman and child. No one truly knows who exactly they were. There are theories and stories, of course, that perhaps it was an imprisoned member of the staff 
held inside the room after being made pregnant out of wedlock? Or was it something else? As I say, no one really knows. The skeletons of the woman and baby were given a proper burial and interred on the estate. But who they were, or how they ended up in a fireplace, is the real mystery. Although they were moved onto the lush grounds of the castle, the green lady and her infant have come back inside the castle walls to haunt the now infamous Green Lady Room. Staff and visitors alike find this room deeply unsettling. So when she she has been spotted several times by visitors um, and she wears a beautiful green dress carrying a baby, um, a lot of staff have seen that as well as visitors. Um, and that dates back to, I think 1970s was when the first record of her ghost being spotted was seen. Sometimes she is seen just standing alone walking about the castle and other times she's seen actually carrying the baby itself and we've had several members of staff here who have actually um, turned and looked up the staircase to see her standing at the top in the dress um, and uh, also there is um, some, mem- uh, some members of the public who have reported hearing a baby crying throughout the building and um, it's a, it's a very unusual building because if you're standing at the bottom, you can hear what people are saying at the top because we have two staircases that act as megaphones basically around. So wherever you are in the building, you can hear what's happening in other rooms. So yeah, the, the visitors were standing at the bottom of our staircase and they could hear a baby crying from another room. Um, and then obviously they went around the castle and never saw the baby. Uh, but yeah, there's been, there's been quite a lot of sightings of a lady dressed in green walking about. Um, and some visitors have become quite visibly freaked out when they're inside that room. The strange thing about Krathis Castle and the Green Lady Room in particular is that it seems to have a strange visceral effect on staff and visitors. Yeah, the one that really freaked me out was we had a visitor who walked into the Green Lady Room and just screamed, just instantly screamed. And I was maybe a room below at the time. So I sort of ran up thinking, you know, it'd be a first aid emergency or something like that. And she was outside the room with our uh, partner. And um, I remember thinking, you know, is everything all right? Are you okay? And she was like, yeah, just just screamed. And I remember thinking that's just such an, an unusual thing. She didn't say I screamed out of terror, screamed out of horror, I saw something. She just screamed. And I remember just thinking at the time that, you know, I've worked in the I've, I've worked in the fire brigade. I've done emergency services, so I've seen you know people have funny reactions to all kinds of different situations. But yeah, just for her to just literally say, yeah, I just walked into the room and then just screamed, and I have no reason for it. And I actually found that quite weird and a little bit unsettling. Um, and then the, the weird thing was she was she was okay. She wasn't visibly shaken, you know, um, and there wasn't like you know her 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 heart rate was fine and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, and what her partner was saying as well, is she just walked into the center of the room and just let out a scream. And then that was it. But that wouldn't be the last time Douglas witnessed a strange reaction to the castle. We're quite a hardy bunch up here. So we're kind of, um, we, we, we push through all the things that freak us out quite a lot. Um, but there has been, there was a, a, a young member of staff who, um, it was their first time opening up the castle 
and they went round and there was a lot of the, the barriers that we used to sort of corner off, you know, delicate items had all been moved. And it, they had been moved for a perfectly legit reason. And um, we were doing cleaning the day before. And, um, but yeah, this member of staff was walking around and they found all these barriers had been moved. And um, I think they got halfway around and then basically radioed me and said, you need to come up, you know, you need to come up and help me. And I thought, all right, I thought maybe something really silly had happened. So I came up and they were just basically said to me, it's like, I'm actually genuinely really, really freaked out right now because all these barriers have moved. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we were, we were doing cleaning yesterday and we just hadn't reset it. And I thought that was okay. And then um, they went on with, continued up the stairs to, uh, to open up. I went back downstairs and then about 10 minutes later, and I thought, should be back by now. You know, this, this should be, they should have done it. So I went back up and um, they were in the top floor of the building, just standing really, really freaked out. And I remember saying, you know, what, what's, what's wrong? And I said, you know, we know why the barriers were moved. You know, I did it yesterday because we were cleaning, we forgot to reset it. And then they, they, were, they just said something on the lines of, um, I don't want to keep opening the building on my own. Can you come with me? And I'm, I feel really, really freaked out by, by the building. And I just sort of said, listen, it's okay, you know, we're totally fine, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're, we're on our own, there's no one else here. And then they just basically said to me that, no, no, there's, there's something else, something's happened that really freaks me out and I really don't want to do this on my own. So we went through the building, unlocked the rest of it, got downstairs. Um, and then I said to them, you know, how are you feeling now? And they were like, oh yeah, fine. I was like, well, you know, you were quite freaked out there. And then they said to me, well, what was I? And I remember thinking, well, of course you were. You, you, you said you didn't want to go around the building on, their own, on your own. And then they said something really weird. They were like, well, you know, I don't really remember saying that. I remember not finding the barriers, but I thought we were okay. I thought you were going to help me unlock the building. And I just remember thinking that wasn't the same conversation I had with them. Krathis Castle is home to hundreds of antiques, paintings, precious artifacts, fabrics, and furniture. These collections and the castle itself is monitored 24-7 by sophisticated electronic devices that measure humidity, temperature, and environmental changes. But in 2016, an unexplainable event shook the staff as it had never happened before or since. Inside the Green Lady Room, the temperature suddenly dropped. It dropped drastically into the minus. However, this only happened for around two and a half minutes before it returned to normal expected temperature. There's no real explanation for this. It could have been a glitch in the system or an error in the hardware, but why would it then suddenly return to normal after only two minutes? Very strange indeed. Another incident occurred when a tour guide was walking through the castle with a group. She did her usual speech about the amazing history of our castle and how the land was gifted to the Burnett family by King Robert the Bruce in 1323 and how he gave them the fantastic horn of lays, which to this day hangs above the fireplace inside the Great Hall. As they ventured through the building, they approached the Green Lady room. The tour guide was introducing the room, when suddenly a little girl in the group, aged maybe five or six, suddenly pointed and asked, Miss, who's the lady standing behind you? The tour guide was shocked. There shouldn't have been anyone in the room. She slowly turned around to find the space behind her totally empty. She turned back to the little girl to ask her who she was talking about. However, the perplexed child just stood there, 
silently. Everyone was very creeped out by this, but the tour guide steeled herself and continued to tell the history of the room. As they all exited to move on to the next room, the tour guide noticed the same little girl was now standing in the middle, staring into the corner, a gentle, innocent smile on her face. There was no one in the room with her. That's the thing about Krathis Castle. Guests and staff are constantly seeing things they cannot explain. Even Douglas has had that experience. I was walking my dog across the estate um, quite early in the morning, on a summer's morning, and we were just coming up the main uh, lawn of the castle, which looked directly onto the building, gives a stunning view of it. Um, And I was doing my usual visual checks of the building, to make sure there's no water damage or anything, all the guttering's okay and everything like that. Just part of looking after a listed building. This is the kind of thing you become quite obsessed with. And I looked up and on the top of the the tower house where we have the flag and the old clock tower and the bell, I could see a figure standing, um, quite a tall figure. Uh, And I'd been up there lots and lots of times. So the the sort of top of the, the battlement wall sort of come to my chest and I'm quite a tall man. Um, so I have to even, I have to go my tiptoes to see over the top of it. But this figure, the, the battlement wall came to about its waist. So it would have been a good meter, two meters taller than I am. Initially, I thought it will just be another member of staff, perhaps. Um, my manager loves going up there and there's beautiful views of the whole country. So I thought maybe it would just be him or whatnot. So I returned the dog to my office and made sure he was fit and watered and then went to the castle to see. And of course, the castle was alarmed, locked up. There was no one else on the estate at the time. And I went up to the roof and there was no signs of anyone there um, or any signs of anyone having been up there. So to the day, I don't know what that or who or what that figure was that was standing on the top. Krathis never saw a battle, but it would have always been prepared for it. Perhaps it was a guard still looking after the estate and all who visited. Krathis Castle has all the markings of a haunted house. From full-bodied apparitions, unexplained noises, horrible feelings of foreboding, to poltergeist activity, you never know what you will walk into at Krathis Castle. One day, I returned from holiday. I had arrived early, so I unlocked the front door and entered the security code to unalarm the building only to discover that every single door was wide open. At first, this may seem fairly trivial. However, the security system we use in the castle cannot alarm if certain doors are not closed. So how was the building alarmed when I entered? Also, it wasn't just doors to the rooms that were open, but also doors to cleaning cupboards. Nothing in there but hoovers and mops, but yet still wide open. And speaking of door alarms, they seem to have a life of their own at Krathis Castle as well. Like all anyone that works in a historical building, um, they'll be very aware of issues with fire alarms and security alarms going off and everything. It's just it's just one of these common things with an old building, you're taking a beautiful, you know, five hundred year old building and you're trying to install modern technology. There's always issues with fire alarms, blah, 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 blah. And, and the strangest one with Krathis is we have had so many times where several security alarms have gone off 
and one after each other as if someone's walking through the building. Um, so there'd be one in reception, then there'd be one on first floor landing, then second floor landing, third floor landing, blah, 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 and in a line, which is quite unusual. It's not random occurrences. It's like a line that someone's gone through it. Um, and this has happened several times and we've investigated it. And obviously there's never been any trace of someone found in the building and um, there's never any kind of break-ins or whatnot. We've got records to prove that all these different sensors going off as if someone has ran through the building or moved through the building. And then when we arrive or the security company arrives or the fire brigade arrives, all the doors are closed and there's no sign of breaking. So that has been very, very unusual. And I've never experienced that in any of the other buildings I've worked in. I want to leave you today with one of Krathis Castle's lesser known ghosts, the White Lady. Yes. So there, there was also another story, which is slightly less well known and which was a poisoning that took place inside the castle. Um, however, again, there is no real historical backing to this. It is more of a sort of fable story told. Um, and this is the famous white lady of Krathis who um, was supposedly poisoned and buried on the castle ground. And every year is said to rise from where the old Loch of Lays used to be, where the original family lived on, on their Cranog Island. And she is said to rise from the water and float through the forest before finally flying into the side of the castle. So the the sort of there's quite a few different theories as to why this happened. Um, there is ones that say that she was having an affair with someone inside the castle out of wedlock. Um, there is a story that she was quite politically involved. Um, there is quite a few different ideas as to who she was and why it happened. Whoever she is or however she died, I think it's truly terrifying for those who witness a waif of a woman floating through the forest, heading to the castle, crying over her lost life and love. Much like Leith Hall, it's not cut and dry at Krathis Castle. It is spooky. It does have scary elements. But it's not all ghost ladies and paranormal activity. It is still a family home and saw a lot more happy times than haunts. Douglas says there are two camps of visitors, those who feel at home in the castle and those who see a much darker side to this commanding building. So Krathis, again, is, is such a unique place because it's more of a family house than it is your sort of medieval castle. You know, it, it was in the Burnett family for its entire history, which again is very unusual for Scottish castles. Usually there's fights and conflict and handed over and everything. So there, there's sort of two camps around the building. Some people find it really warm, comforting, friendly. They walk in and, you know, that a lot of the furniture would have been sat in by the family. It's all set up to be a house. So there's like a beautiful fireplace and there's a dining area and things like that. And a lot of people find it very humbling and comforting. Then there's the other side where people find it very unsettling for some reason when they come in. And so it's very unique in the fact that it kind of touches both sides of it. And some people find it an incredibly dark and cold building and are very sort of freaked out by different rooms, not just the Green Lady room. And we have absolute fantastic Renaissance painted ceilings here. So we've got figures that are painted on the ceilings of, um, well, one of them's the Nine Nobles room. So it has pictures of King Arthur, Charlemagne, and um, all this kind of thing. And beautiful, beautiful paintings. 
in the nursery inside on the, the, the roof that are paintings of very angry people, of ghouls, gargoyles, dragons, and things like that. And um, so it, I always use that as an example of the sort of two feelings about Krathis. You've got the one side that you're very, you know, proud and warriors and soldiers and kings and very important religious people. And then on the other side of the building, you've got this room, which is a nursery. And I don't know why you would paint annoyed, angry parents on the roof of a nursery. Um, but yeah, that's the other side of it, where it has pictures of ghouls and goblins and, you know, deformed beasts and things like that. And I think that really, that when you see that, it's quite a polar opposite to what the other side is like. And I always use that as the example of that's how people feel about Krathis. You've got this side that sees it as very noble and, you know, lovely house to live in and would love to live there. And then the other side, that's this sort of sinister, dark, ominous feeling that a lot of people get as well. Both Leith Hall and Krathis Castle are open to the public. When you find yourself in Scotland, I cannot urge you enough to pay them both a visit. A massive thank you to both Beatrice and Douglas. We are so very thankful to you both and to the National Trust for Scotland for sharing these haunting stories with us. Tapaliv, my friends. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at thewestlondonwitch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Miss Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us. Bye.